Welcome. This is On Mike with Jordan Rich, the podcast dedicated to conversation with creative, passionate people from the arts and all walks of life. I'm launching this particular podcast on the 4th of July weekend, 2020, which continues to be a tough year for all of us as we celebrate our nation's birthday. But I believe it's important to remember that which has made this country so great. Today, a double feature for you, two stories heralding the contributions of Americans, both overseas and here at home. You'll be hearing from a local office furniture company, AIS, that has launched a campaign to produce one million masks so needed during the current pandemic. We'll talk about the nationwide campaign, the fact that they're using the image of Rosie the Riveter, famous for inspiring the population during World War II. These are ordinary Americans stepping up, and you can join them in the cause. But first, a conversation I just had with Ed Mitchell, a proud veteran and the executive director of the Veterans Northeast Outreach Center, VNEOC.org on the web, based in Haverhill. Now, I've met and promoted a lot of programs for vets over the years, but I am so impressed with what the folks at VNOC, as they're known, are doing to help veterans and their families with housing, employment, counseling, and much more. It's truly a service that others around the country are looking to model, and for good reason. So let's first welcome Ed Mitchell, and let's go on, Mike. It's different than a lot of other veterans groups that I've run into uh, for many reasons. But how do you describe it to somebody for the first time? Uh, well, good, good question. Uh, I, I'm, first of all, I'm extremely proud to be the executive officer of this organization because it is so special and so unique um, in, in what we provide. Uh, originally established in 1985 as a, as a storefront operation in Lawrence, uh, helping our Vietnam veterans, and uh, it's expanded. We've relocated to Haverhill, and now we're providing over 200 affordable housing units to our veterans and family members. But what makes us unique is we're not just providing the housing for our veterans. We're providing the full wraparound services that will help ensure that they remain housed and never fall back into the the dilemma of being homeless. Um, and what I mean by that, we, we provide um, uh, employment opportunities and training. We provide um, compensation and pension uh, claims requests to make sure our veterans are receiving their full benefits, whether it's a disability or a pension. Um, and we provide financial assistance so that the veterans can get a better um, grip on their financial uh, issues that basically cause them to become homeless. Um, and we have various programs that help with that, um, whether it's our supportive services for veterans and families or our financial advocates. Um, and in addition to that, we also have uh, an extremely uh, effective food pantry uh, where we provide food on Tuesdays and Thursdays where they can pick up uh, nearly probably we save a hundred dollars a week just on, on the food pantry items. And that, and that's the, thanks to the outstanding partners we have in the community, like mm. mass military, uh, the department of veterans services and, um, and the VA as well. Now this has to be mentioned. You're a standalone organization, right? You're not officially connected to the VA, but, no. but it's yeah. veterans helping veterans and it's taken off in a big way, huh? 
Oh, a- absolutely. But, you know, again, we got to we do have strong partners um, that support us through grants or, or donations, uh, whether it's, you know, the Merrimack Valley Merchants Associations, uh, the, uh, our local veteran service officers are a big part of our support network as well. And uh, there, there are just so many uh, to mention, I, I probably should have a list, but, uh, <laughs> there, you know, but yeah, we're a standalone, but we do, um, rely a lot on, on grants to support our, uh, different programs and services that we do provide, um, ranging from tra- transportation for our veterans to, to and from, our, uh, their VA medical appointments, uh, and possibly, uh, employment interviews mm. and things like that. I got wind of a story that I'd love you to share if you don't mind about a man, I believe he's in his late eighties who, uh, through a series of circumstances wound up homeless and a very proud veteran. Um, do you know the story I'm referring to? Uh, not off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, then I won't ask. Uh, John told well, me. Well, I mean, if, if a little bit more, I might. might uh, okay, but I, I can sure. take the question out. I was thinking that sure. John told me about this guy. He's like 88 years old, and he came up to live with his family in, in a condo, and they wouldn't allow an extra person in the condo. And if you, if you don't know the story, don't worry about it. I, I, I'll. But, yeah, but it was. This during the COVID period? Uh, I think it's recently, but I'll tell you what, yeah. rather than that, can I ask you to sure. to give a few examples of the kinds of men and women you've helped, maybe just from, from your perspective? Sure. Let, me, let, me ask it, um, let me ask it this way. Ed, there are so many great stories coming out of the center. Do you have a couple off the top that you could share with us about Sure. I, I have one really, oh, there's so many. <laughs> uh, one really extraordinary uh, example is uh, our most recent uh, member to our board of directors um, who was here back in 2013, was a homeless veteran who actually came up here from New York and uh, with a child homeless and my predecessor john Racka, uh you know brought him right in provided him uh, housing at no cost because he had no income um, they helped him file for his disability um, stabilized him provided the supported net- network to get him uh, gainfully employed and and just right now he is a full-time realtor um, has a house, his own house in Lawrence, and is doing extremely well to the point now he's uh, an important member of our board of directors. That's uh, awesome. So going from homeless to, to where he is in such a short period of time, really, you know, from 2013 to now uh, owning his home, mm. home, own home and being extremely successful realtor uh, in the area. That's a terrific, uh, very inspiring story. Can we quantify the impact of mental stress on veterans' plights? I mean, it's been uh, it's been the case for forever that uh, men, mainly men in battle, now women, suffer from what used to be called battle fatigue and now PTSD. But until uh, very recently, it wasn't attended to. Is that one of the reasons we have such a, a serious issue with our vets? Um, well, uh, certainly, uh, you know, it, and it really doesn't have to stem from, from battle, although that's certainly a, a serious contributor to, to um, issues with our veterans. Our, our peacetime veterans are, are, you know, the veterans that served between uh, post-Vietnam 1975 to basically 1990. Um, you know, they, they still have issues as well. In fact, 
my personal opinion is just going surviving boot camp is, is pretty traumatic to an individual because mm. what they do in boot camp is basically break you down so that they can rebuild you into, you know, being an, an effective team member in a, a military organization. And sometimes people can't survive that uh, mm. event and uh, and it weighs on them or they are able to make that transition. And then four years later, when they leave the military, now they have to transition back to being a civilian. And sometimes that's uh, in itself is traumatic. So, uh, and, and, and can weigh on you and create anxiety and stress and depression. So, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be related to battle, although that certainly is uh, a big factor, uh, now deep nowadays. But as you're saying this, I'm, I'm knowledgeable of many programs that are just starting to take shape over the last four or five years that are addressing these issues. I mean, people sometimes ask, why are so many veterans who had military positions and uh, had the opportunity to come back and live again, why are they homeless? Why are they dealing with so much strife? And I think the answer is obvious. There's so much pressure on them. There is. Um, and uh, our, our our Veterans Northeast Outreach Center logo is a, is a V uh, shape and it has you know the three basic colors of our our nation's flag the red white and blue and it has uh white stars that are transitioning into blue stars and that that's uh, symbolic to the flight of our veterans transitioning from that military mindset into back into to the, the civilian side of things and and it, it's a, it, it can be a, an extremely difficult transition mm to do on your own, especially when you're accustomed to having your comrades beside you that you basically, you know, you, you put your lives in their hands, you rely on each other. And, and now that support network isn't there and you're on your own. So mm -hmm. that transition from military life back into civilian life is certainly challenging. We talked a little bit about housing. There are many examples and the stats are on the site. People can visit vneoc.org and and get a load of what you guys have been doing for the last 30 years. But I also wanted to talk about housing employment, of course, but also about outreach and support services, kind of general topics. But there's some specific programs that are really working that you would be happy, I'm sure, to share with sure. us. Yeah, absolutely. Especially nowadays during this COVID pandemic, um, you know, you talk about uh, stresses and, and anxiety, you know, during this time where we actually had to close down our uh, service center, you know, where veterans can come into our facility and use our computers and sit down and have donuts and coffee with their fellow veterans and talk. And well, Due to the you know the separation requirements, we we had to prevent that, and uh, so for the most part, our veterans are sheltered in place, and and that can create anxiety. And I we realized that, and we uh, stepped up our food pantry services so that we actually provide Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday food pantry. And our quality of food has, has increased too because, of, again, the exceptional support we have from throughout the community. Um, 
But in addition to that, we have always provided a hot meal for our veterans here at the campus, as well as um, our satellite locations. We have uh, facilities in uh, Methuen and uh, Bedford as well um, that we provide hot meals to. And um, that in itself is, is a, is a, an important staple to that peace of mind. And we didn't want that to be interrupted. And, and our staff has really stepped up and, and made sure that our veterans had that consistency in their lives, even during these, you know, troublesome times. So, so that, that, that's been a great factor in it. But uh, other programs we have is like our transition in place where we have veterans housed in an apartment complex and, their first few months is actually rent free, so it allows them to pay down some of their debts. And then they start to assume a portion of the rent. And then within a 12 month period, our case managers work with them and uh, uh, financial advisors so that eventually they will assume the lease. And uh, that program has been extremely successful. And, uh, you know, the veterans being able to take on their own lease going from again from a homeless situation and now to independent living is is pretty pretty awesome to be a part of and then we have our bridge program it's a 90-day program again um, with case managers assisting uh, veterans that are dealing with addiction Uh, it's a 90-day program to help them again get into an apartment and then independent living and and uh we have uh, two facilities located here in um, Haverhill, one in Methuen, and then one in Bedford that uh, accommodate those programs. I really believe that yours is a model that people and organizations around the country can learn from, and I'm sure you're interacting with many uh, as as we go along. But I did want to have you comment on your recent article on the front page of the website I was so moved, first of all, to know about your background as a submariner, um, a veteran, but also your your dad and, and other relatives, some of whom never came home. Uh, talk about what this means to you to give back to other veterans at this point in your career. Uh, well, yeah, veterans, are, it, it was actually an easy transition from when I was on active duty as, as a Navy chief. You know, I felt one of my primary uh, responsibilities is to take care of the troops, uh, mission first, obviously, but taking care of the troops. You don't take care of your troops, you're not going to meet your mission requirements. So retiring, I, I ended up uh, uh, obtaining uh, the position of uh, veteran services director for the town of North Andover in Boxford. And transitioning from taking care of the troops to taking care of the veterans was pretty pretty easy and but meaningful. And uh, I did that for 15 years. And shortly after retiring from that position, I assumed uh, the executive director here at the outreach. Um, but uh, not just taking care of the veterans close to my heart is is the Gold Star families. As mentioned on my webpage article there, uh, my grandmother was a gold star mother. She had uh, six children, uh, six daughters and one son, and she lost her only son during World War II. And um, so we were always, you know, when I was brought up as a youngster, I, I understood the you know the sacrifices needed to keep this country free and um, understanding what the flag represents 
and the importance of of service before self. My father was uh, came back from World War II. He was uh, D Day plus two, and um, a hard worker, just like the majority of our World War II veterans. When they came home, they went right to work and started rebuilding this country. And uh, we certainly owe all of them a debt of gratitude, right? As I, well as. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if people get a chance to read your words, I think they'll be they'll be touched, and they'll also learn a little bit about why you do what you do. Uh, yes. So uh, I really would wanted you to uh, to monitor, I, I really wanted you to echo those. Before we wrap, I think it's important for you to uh, use this forum to ask for whatever help we in the community can give. I know donations are always a part of the program, but. Seriously, what can people do if they want to pitch in and and help you with your cause? Sure. Um, Well, first and foremost, they can obviously go to our webpage and get additional information about what we do. And um, and there's a a place where they can donate. And, um, you know, even even if it's a 50 cents a day, you know, at the end of the month, that's fifteen dollars. That's that's basically enough money to take a veteran out to lunch. And and that that means a lot. Um, Or you can donate your time. You know, if you have a particular trade or services, you can donate your time or you can help with our food pantry. Right now, um, today, we're uh, handing out food at the Northern Essex Community College. And, um, you know, veterans can allows the veterans to drive up and we put the food right in their car. They don't even have to get out. Um, So that you know, is a big service to our veterans that have, you know, pre-existing conditions and don't want to take the chance of going to the grocery store. Um, They can call our front office at 978-372-3626 if they're interested in volunteering their time or contributing a monetary donation. It certainly would be beneficial. we have two two uh, big programs that we're working on right now with uh, ones with Lowell Five, where they're providing financial advisors for our veterans and that to encourage them to save money so that they can uh, work towards actually purchasing purchasing their own home through their VA home loan program. But uh, Lowell Five will also. Uh, steer them towards uh, a grant that's available. So if a veteran say saves two hundred dollars a month, the grant will match that two hundred dollars. So now they have four hundred dollars in the bank, and that's an added incentive to encourage them to save even more money for the next month. And again, that's to, so that eventually they'll be able to have enough funding to um, purchase a home of their own. And then another program we're really proud of working on is our endowment program. John Ford's been uh, the leader for that. And basically we're encouraging corporations to provide an annual donation to our endowment program that's Morgan Stanley has uh, volunteered to uh, operate at no cost. And that program we believe will allow us to draw off the interest every two to three years and allow us to build affordable housing for our veterans. So we're really excited about that as it's taken off quite uh, effectively right now. 
Well, there's so much going on, but uh, the positives far outweigh the negatives in terms of what benefits are are coming to these well-deserving individuals. And I'm so thrilled that uh, I got the chance to meet you, uh, albeit a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit odd, yeah. not seeing each other, not shaking hands, but that'll change in the future. But for people who want to know more, give us the web address. Give us the web address, if you would. Sure. Uh, the Veterans Northeast Outreach Center can be reached at vneoc.org. Okay, vneoc.org. Ed, thank you for spending a little time with me, and I know you've got a lot of work to do, and uh, you, you don't stop. So thanks for taking a moment to inform yeah. us. We appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it, and I just you know I'd like to give a shout out to our staff who has done extraordinary work during this COVID pandemic uh, because of their due diligence in keeping things sanitized and, and keeping mm-hmm. our veterans informed. We have had zero cases of COVID with our staff or our veteran residents, and that's that's pretty outstanding. Thanks again to Ed Mitchell and the entire staff and volunteers from VNOC, the Veterans Northeast Outreach Center, on the web at www.vneoc.org. Find out more and certainly donate if you can. Now, I promised you a couple of segments today, so in part two of our 4th of July special, more on the campaign, SewTheMasks.com. My guest is Bruce Platzman of AIS, a local office furniture design and manufacturer in Massachusetts. This is a story of Americans on the home front, pitching in where and when it counts. So we return on Mike with Bruce and the inspiring tale of Rosie and her fans. Here you are, a company that's designing and manufacturing office furniture, and the pandemic strikes, and you decide, maybe we can do something to help. Tell me the story. Well, on March 17th, uh, Governor Baker uh, put the state into a a lockdown except for essential businesses. And we were sitting around, my executive team, and we said, you know, we thought at that point as a manufacturer of office furniture, we would be considered non-essential and we would return at some point. And, you know, by coincidence, that day we received a fairly large order from Brigham and Women's Hospital related to COVID. And we went before the uh, commission that the governor had set up that you, if you wanted to try to have them determine whether you were essential or non-essential. When we pleaded our case and got before the board, they came back very quickly and said, you guys are very essential because as they explained it, if we don't show up with the furniture and the nurses and the doctors and uh, don't have a place to admit patients that are COVID related, they don't have a place to put their computers, their laptops, et cetera, et cetera. So fortunately for us, we have 700 uh, factory workers that are manufacturing office furniture and uh, we were deemed essential. Now with that, we manufacture about 500 office chairs per day in a regular uh, situation. And that is done through five assembly lines with lots of seamstresses as well. We immediately uh, made a decision to close down one of those lines and dedicate that to making masks. And in the beginning, we were making masks for our own use. And then we expanded out to the uh, police department, fire department, mm. some of the nursing homes in town in, in Lemonster, as well as UMass, which has a hospital in Lemonster as well. And, uh, the response was overwhelming, and, and could you guys expand this even further? And at that time, someone reminded me about Rosie the Riveter in World War II and that whole story about how everybody rallied around the flag, no matter what your beliefs were. Everybody had the same common goal. How can we come out of this war and be the United States, and how can we be victorious? And uh, that's how we got the idea. And so I called the team together. We said, can we uh, create an environment 
that is similar to Rosie the Riveter, but sewing masks and getting everybody to rally around the cause. Right. And, uh, let's let's do this. Let's tell people <clears throat> what this is an ongoing program, and uh, we all know pandemics like these uh, last a while, and uh, coronavirus is not going away. SewTheMasks.com. And we'll explain how it works in a second. But are you even surprised at how this thing has taken off somewhat? I Yes, yes and no. I mean, we're we're a small company, although in the uh, footprint of manufacturing within Massachusetts, we're a fairly sizable company with about 700 employees here, but small in the sense that on a, on a national level. And when we reached out and, and came up with our video uh, on on developing Rosies and getting people to volunteer, I had no idea that we'd get over 500 in the first week in from 38 different states. I didn't know the reach would be that deep in that fire. It's been very rewarding. And some of the stories have been fantastic. Well, let's talk about the mechanics of it, because uh, it's not just you guys sewing these masks. And we'll talk about the quality of the masks. They're outstanding. But you're involving the community as a whole. I love the concept. Explain it to us, Bruce. Well, the whole idea on a call for action is that whether you're an individual sitting at home, uh, somebody that has a sewing machine, or you're a Fortune 500 company or everything in between, this was a cause that we all had to rally around and we have to continue to rally around to get through and come out the other end. And so we were getting people to say, how can we help? We had people calling up. I'm a 92 year old lady. I'm sitting at home. I have a sewing machine. I can make masks for you. Can't make thousands, but I can make a few hundred for you. Can I help? And from that, we said, okay, how do we get our corporate sponsors uh, to participate so that we can take this from a small uh, situation in Lemonster Mass and make it more national in scope. And actually came up with the idea that if we were successful, we would be able to donate 1 million masks to the people in need. And there are so many great agencies and so many people that are in need and that are at risk uh, for a quality mask. And that's where the idea came about. And I have been a little surprised at how successful it's been so early. Yeah, it's taking on sort of a national uh, sense of energy, which is amazing. I want to jump back, though, for a second. As you and I talked on the phone I'm a big student of World War II history, the culture, the the historic battles and everything else. And one of the things about this that's really cool is the retro aspect of Rosie the Riveter. And you've got a great billboard campaign and an online campaign that features uh, an animation that looks very much like the the original Rosie back, what, 70 years ago? 70 years ago. And we uh, that was intentional. And yep. the, lead, uh, the lead Rosie that's illustrated there is actually an employee – at the company, and I saw her making a mask one day, and her smile is just completely so infectious in a very positive way. Uh, and I asked her if she would be our spokesperson, and she said absolutely. And uh-huh. That's where that really came from. And actually, my daughter is the one that illustrated her, and uh, so that's how it took off from there. And it is retro intentionally to really play off of that. There have not been many times in our history where everybody's really rallied around and really and had that call for action where everybody had the same. Uh, cause in mind. Everybody was pulling in the same direction. COVID-19 is one of those. Right. It certainly has been a rocky experience for the entire world, but uh, it has brought people together. And we probably need it this summer more than ever with what's going on in other parts of the culture. But uh, let's talk about logistics again. So your goal is to hit a million masks manufactured, sewn by people from all over. And talk, yes. a, talk a little bit more about the partnerships that you've developed, because it's, it's business helping business as well. Yeah. So we've reached out uh, to 
other businesses, some that we have relationships with, others that we know are philanthropic. And we've asked them, the way the concept works is we ask them to sponsor uh, a thousand masks at, at $4 each. And we'll go over the quality, as you said later, and how they're different. And what we do is we send out uh, to the Rosies a kit of 50 in a box. They return those. As I said, we have 500 Rosies. And then we return those to the co- a sponsoring company, uh, 50 to a box. Uh, so they get 20 boxes. And studies show that it is so much more effective and rewarding for an individual or a corporate entity to be hands-on when they're doing uh, philanthropic endeavors. In other words, they get 20 of these boxes back. They give one to one of their employees and say, why don't you bring this to your favorite charity or agency uh, within the city that you live or work? Uh, give it to another. So they're giving out 20 boxes to 20 different employees. Some are going to nursing homes, some hospitals, police departments, the homeless shelters, the food banks, places like that. So what a rewarding experience for a company to build their philanthropic brand and their employees to get really hands-on. It's, it makes them feel good about their company, their brands enhanced, and everybody wins. The, and, the, mm. and the community is benefiting as well. That's awesome. Let's talk about the masks themselves. Uh, pe- people are now so familiar with the term PPE and understanding uh, how critical uh, the quality has to be. And, of course, you make quality furniture, so that makes sense uh, that you would make a quality mask. But what makes the mask special? You know, early on when we heard all the different nightmares, we all did that, you know, all the counterfeit masks that were coming from overseas and uh, the paper masks, how they could only be worn one shift and they were very uncomfortable. And then, you know, the questioning of the quality, even if you had one. Uh, we wanted to set out to make a mask that was different. So we came up with first a fabric mask that was very comfortable. It has adjustable straps that don't go around the ears, so you don't have that issue as well. We wanted something to also be reusable. So these are washable up to 30 times, and we believe beyond that, but they've been tested up to 30 times. But the most important part of this mask is the two layers of fabric. The outer layer is treated with an antimicrobial product, and what that does is it takes care of uh, a lot of bacteria, that is in the air. Now, it, we all know that COVID's a virus, so it will take care of lots of bacteria, but not necessarily viruses. But the other thing is we also treat it with a water repellency, which takes care of the small dro- water droplets as well as large uh, droplets. And that's how COVID is transmitted mm. uh, so that we can repel, like again, both small droplets and large droplets from penetrating the mask. And that inner layer acts as a filtering material, and it's soft to the touch as well. So it's reusable, it's good quality, uh, and it accomplishes a lot of the safety guidelines that the CDC has uh, set forth as well. And one more thing about your team, and you said 700 workers plus, uh, this has to have had a very positive effect on the morale because everyone's bothered and concerned and 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 worried, but uh, giving some people the chance to step up and help out has to be positive. Can you comment well, on that? We've, we've had... Uh, Many people want to volunteer and have volunteered for the different areas in our factory, in, in particular the one that was sewing masks so they could participate firsthand. Other employees have brought forth, hey, I have a grandmother or my mother's at home with a sewing machine. She'd like to help out. Can she participate? We had another great story where a 92-year-old lady said, I can only make two masks a day, but I want to help. Can I participate? I said, of course. Of course. Send her 50 masks if it takes you know, a couple months to get them back. Who cares? You know, we're making this lady part of the solution and making her feel good in the process as well. And that's what it's all about, yeah, curing it and making people to participate because they want to. 
Well, uh, it's an outstanding program, uh, SewTheMasks.com. It's it's only going to be more popular as the summer months move on, but I'm glad we're able to get together and share on a podcast and in other areas because uh, the momentum is there, and uh, the, it just makes you feel good to know you're helping other people this way. It, it, it certainly does, and people ask why you're doing this, and, you know, the company has always been very philanthropic, and, uh, you know, whether it's the day-to-day charities. Uh, we're very involved with the United Way. I'm on the board of directors there as well, as well as Make-A-Wish. And it's something that, you know, it's our way of, of giving back to this cause, if you want to call it that. But, you know, I hope we're not wearing masks in three months or four months. But if we all are, I want to be part of the solution. And I want to be able to say AIS donated one million masks to the people that need in the United States. And if we accomplish that, it's going to be a great feeling, not only for myself, but for the 700 people that work here. Much appreciation to Bruce Platzman and all of the employees and others at AIS, all of the companies stepping up to partner in this effort, and most of all, to you throughout the country who are taking up Rosie's call to sew one million masks. Again, go to sewthemasks.com to join the cause. The story of America is her people. With all of the problems we face, let's not forget the good that will always overshadow the bad. May you enjoy a happy, healthy, and safe 4th of July. This is Jordan, as always, saying be well so you can do good. Take care.